Amen. Worship team, thank you for leading us in that musical worship and reminding us of uh, the blessedness that is in, uh, in store for those who learn how to trust Jesus more. And I think, that's, <laughs> I think that's the message that we all need to hear and put into practice today. Um, I have one preliminary thing that I would like to do uh, before we get into the message time. And I think it's appropriate to do um, today is celebrate my wife's birthday together here. All right. So, trust me, there is nothing that she would absolutely love more than for all eyes to be on her and every voice in the room to blend together in beautiful harmony, to serenade her with a gold, old-fashioned rendering of happy birthday to you. It's nothing that she would want more than that. So here we go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Susie. I call her Susie. Happy birthday to you. Oh, there you go. Happy birthday, babe. All right. She loved that. Um, I actually, I've been nervous for a while. I was like, can I do this or not? And then I actually asked her this morning. She's like, we'll see. Right. But she, she let me get, get away with it. Right. All right, so, um, so preliminary one done. Preliminary two is just to kind of explain just a little bit about what we're doing um, behind this series. We're calling this series The Summers in the Psalms. And what I've come to find out is, is sometimes in the summertime, we're kind of hit and miss uh, with being around. I mean, you know, the sun's out and we go this place and that place. And so it's kind of hard to be in a, in a long, continuous series because you might miss out a week or two. And so my thought was a couple months back was like, what if we, you know, just took the summers to go through the different psalms? And so I had a plan that we started working here. And I thought if I averaged eight to 10 psalms per summer, then we'll be done in about 15 to 18 years, all right? <clears throat> So I'm going to be between the ages of 58 and 60 when we're finished with this series, and some of you thought we spent a long time in James, all right? So, but, uh, but maybe by the time I'm 60, uh, by God's grace, I will have learned a thing or two about how to relate with God and how to cry out to Him, um, and that is the design and the intention of the Psalms, and so we're just going to work. I mean, seriously, we laugh, but this is a 15 to 18 year preaching plan. Through the summers, we're just going to do Psalm 1, Psalm 2, Psalm 3, Psalm 4, all the way to Psalm 150. That's the plan, unless something else comes up that's more important. Um, the Psalms are amazing. The Psalms actually give us a script that we can utilize as we cry out to God in our various seasons of life. We can connect with the cries of the different psalmists because each individual author painstakingly combined their thoughts and their emotions with their experiences of life, and then they put the combination of those two poetic things together, and they put it into poetic form for us to read, and we benefit greatly from their efforts. And so the psalms are poetic, and many of them are meant to be combined with melodies and harmonies to be sung. And the reason for that is so that they might stick in our souls a little bit. You know, it only takes a moment for me to say, "'Tis so sweet," for in your mind to say, "'To trust in Jesus,' right? Because it's put to, it's put to a tune, a melody. And that's what the Psalms were, that, that's what they did. That was the intention of them. 
So a lot of times when you go through the Psalms, you'll see, you know, written to the choir master. So this was, this, I'm writing this down so it could be put to music and melodies and harmonies so that you can sing it so it will stick in your soul a little bit. Sometimes you'll see like to the tune of the dove under the far off terebinth tree. It's like, so here maybe David is just like listening to this bird. He's like, hey, that's kind of a cool little melody. Let's write a lyric to it, right? For the flute or for the lyre, for the harp. My favorites are Psalm 55 through 57. They're all written to the tune of do not destroy, all right? That's like heavy metal thrasher screamo band, right? (laughs) So even you got something you know, coming for you by the time we get to 55 and 57, right? To the tune of do not destroy, right? So no matter what season of life you're in, you can find a voice for your situation and for your soul as you read the Psalms. And I think when I was thinking about this, as I was preparing for the series, I think that God shows his unmatched kindness to us in giving us 150 of these things, Right? 150 of them. I think that's evidence of his abundant benevolence to us. It's witnessed in 150 that we have been given to to pour into our souls and to give us a script and a voice to cry out to God and even to sing. So if you're in awe of God, there's a psalm for that. If you're experiencing sorrow in your life, there's a psalm for that. If you're feeling discouraged or depressed, there's a whole bunch of psalms for that. Have you ever experienced anger or fear or regret or grief or brokenness or despair or pain or all the above? There's a whole bunch of psalms for that. Have you ever experienced a season of gratitude or joy or zeal for God, gladness or peace or assurance? Fill in the blank. There is a psalm for that. God is so good in giving us these poems for us to use in any season of life that we might be going through. And so as humans, I don't need to tell you this, but as humans, we're going to experience very high highs and really low lows. And these words in the Psalms actually provide a template for us to express our experiences back to God. So we're going to go on an extended journey together through the Psalms, and we're going to appropriately start in the beginning, Psalm 1. So go ahead and turn there. And we're going to be introduced to a biblical theme that is also made abundantly clear throughout the rest of the Bible as well. Psalm 1 is going to encapsulate the thought that there are two ways of going about life. There is no third option. And so let's go ahead and turn our attention to the author of the Psalms, God himself. God, we pray that you would help us discern what it is that we need to discern here today as we start this long extended journey through the Psalms. And God, I pray that we would uh, reap the benefits of these efforts that were made by people uh, from long ago to express their thoughts and their experiences and their situations back to you as they were led by your Holy Spirit. And so God, as we get into Psalm 1 here, God, I pray that it would be very clear to us what it is you want us to hear from this text today. God, help us to see that there's only two ways of going about life, and there is no third option. So help us to be evaluative today, and help us to make good choices about what we hear and how we respond to what's being said to us in your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Follow along with me. The words will be on the screen, but the words are in your copy of the scriptures as well. And we'll start in Psalms, the book of Psalms, chapter 1, Psalm 1. It says this, 
Blessed or blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And may the Lord add his blessing to those who read and hear and then seek to obey and trust the promises that are held out before us in this psalm. So I want to talk about something that I call biblical ophthalmology. You're like, what in the world are you talking about? They seem to be unrelated terms. You think I've lost it. I've been on vacation for too long, right? When I say biblical, I mean a teaching from the Bible. And when I say ophthalmology, what I'm talking is about that specialized healthcare professionals that help us take care of our physical eyes. And we put those two terms together, biblical ophthalmology. Now, why do I say that? We've all been to an optometrist before I trust. This is the person that's kind of like the first line of defense as they take care of our vision problems. You know, they're the ones that do the one-two thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? All right, so you've been there before, right? This is, this is the person that like puts a lens in front of you and then they say one, right? And then they twist some device on a really cool looking contraption and they put a new lens in front of your eye and then they say two. And then they repeat that technique, one, two. So let's all practice together, okay? Most of us in this room have the capacity to do this. This is audience participation. We can count to two, ready? Let's all practice together. One, two, good, good. Let's try one again. One, two, one more time, one, two, congratulations, you're all optometrists now, right? That's all you need to know, right? Um, But when the doctor does this thing, one, two, one, two, what he or she is trying to do is help you decide which prescription might be better for you to see with, which of the two options presented will be better in the long run? Which option will make things clearer? Which will cause less headaches and eye strain in the end? And after showing you these two options, then you must give some sort of affirmative answer, right? You're like, well, one was better, or two was better. And then the illustration breaks down a little bit here because eventually the differences are so hard to spot that sometimes you kind of like break out in that cold sweat and you hesitate, I don't know, I don't know, one or two, it's both, right? And then all of a sudden, that's your prescription. Well, this is, this is what the psalmist is going to do as the book, as, as 150 of these things are opened up in, in chapter 1. This is what the psalmist is going to do. He is going to present to us two options and he's going to show us the difference But then we must make some sort of definitive answer to what he presents. We can't just say, oh, I don't know what I am or what I want. You have to say, I want one or two. And then you look at your life and say, I am either a one or two. 
You can't hesitate to give a definitive answer because all of us answer it. And so what we need to do is ask God to help us discern and choose that which will be the best option for us. And in this case, there is a right answer. And I'll show you that in a moment. And I love this. I love how simple the wisdom of God is presented here. It's like it's this option or it's this option. I think sometimes we're under the impression that since this is God's word and since his ways are higher than our ways, that we have to somehow mystically attempt to understand what this word is saying. And we make this word sometimes a lot more harder and more difficult than it actually needs to be. But Psalm 1 simply tells us that there is a way of blessedness and there is a way of destruction. Those are your two options. There is no third option. It's that simple. So as we get into the Psalms, don't overcomplicate it. The psalmist is going to say, look, there's one way and there's another way. One, two, choose. And actually, we see this simple form of teaching all throughout the scriptures. And actually, the teacher that utilized this contrasting teaching the most was our teacher, Jesus, the Son of God. The Word that was made flesh. So the Word does this, and then the Word made flesh did this. We see this in the Gospels that record his teachings, remember? He says things like this, and this is just a quick survey. This is just me picking a few of them out. I'm not, this is not like some exhaustive survey. He says we can either pass through a narrow gate and walk a hard road that leads to life, or we can pass through a wide gate and walk an easy road to our destruction. You choose. Your life and my life will either produce good fruit and remain, or they will produce rotten fruit and they'll be deserved to be cut down and thrown into a fire. You choose. You will either be a wise builder or a foolish builder. One will last, one will wash away. We will either be wheat or we will be tares. We will either be sheep or we'll be goats. We'll either seek after earthly treasure or we will seek after heavenly treasure. We will either deny ourselves or we will seek to please ourselves. We will either be weighed down and burdened beyond our ability to bear or we will come to Jesus and find rest for our souls. We will either seek to be first and end up being last or be last and end up being first. We'll either be people that have ears that hear or remain willfully deaf. Or we'll be people with eyes that cannot see but have the eyes of our hearts opened by King Jesus. We'll either be overflowing with living water or we will die of thirst. We'll either be sustained by daily bread or we will remain in spiritual starvation. This binary way of talking is designed to sober you up a little bit. It's like a splash of cold water. Here it is. One, two, choose. Which one most reflects your life currently as well? So what are we going to do with these teachings? It's the same thing that's introduced in the book of Psalms as it opens up. Will you be associated with the way of the righteous or will you be associated with the way of of the wicked choose. And in this way, as we sit here today, and every time we open up this word and we hear it preached, it's like we're sitting in the examination room in an optometrist's office, and the Holy Spirit is going to say to us, one, two, one, two. 
choose. And then we have to make a choice. So from the very beginning, what we need to see here is that the book draws a line in the sand and we are either on one side or the other. So as the psalm opens up to us, he's going to draw two portraits for us. We're going to see a portrait of a righteous man who is blessed and we're going to see a portrait of a wicked man who won't make it through inevitable judgment. And as we go through Psalm 1, we need to ask ourselves the diagnostic question, which portrait most resembles your current situation? Which character do you currently identify with? Which depiction, which composite sketch that's going to be drawn for us best currently represents you? And are you okay with that reflection and all of its implications? So let's just take a few moments to unpack and contrast the two options for us. First of all, we have the way of the righteous. Look at what he says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Verse 1 and verse 2, we see that the righteous are blessed and they experience true delight. I love this. The first word in all of the Psalms is the word ashray, which means blessed or happy. This is the word that sounds a lot like the name that was given to Jacob's second son of Zilpah, the handmaiden of Leah. When she said this in Genesis 30, 13, and Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy, and so she called his name Asher, Asherah. This is the name that we chose for our second born son, and I try to tell him as often as I can that he makes me so, so happy. That's how the psalm opens up, happy. In Psalm 1, the righteous man is presented as happy. This is not some sort of fickle happiness. The happiness that's going to be depicted in Psalm 1 is a calm and at-ease happiness. It's happiness that finds its source in something that results in a lifelong stability and long-term prosperity, no matter what may come down the pike. So the first word in all of the Psalms is the word Asher or Ashray as the form that's there. And it's followed by the two words Haish. Ashray Haish. Blessed is the man. Generic word for man. We're going to be talking about someone who is happy and this person is a blessed, happy man or woman, right? Person. Think about this. What a great way to start a book, right? I mean, talk about hooking the audience. Are we not all desperately trying to answer that question? How can I find happiness? How can I experience blessedness? Calm and ease and assured. Long-term prosperity and stability. How do I answer that? I mean, come on. Think about it. That's an amazing way to start a book. If we're, if, think about it, if we were struggling with some sort of depression and we sought the counsel from some sort of counselor or therapist and that counselor or therapist was sworn to tell the truth, nothing but the truth and the whole truth, right? 
or the whole truth, nothing but the one, you know the phrase, right? They had to tell the truth, right? And we got to the very end of our first counseling session, and then they leaned over and they whispered in our ear, hey, hey, listen, happy is the man who, and then the clock dinged and our session ended. And on our way out, what would you do? You would make sure that you scheduled another appointment, right? And you would pay the going rate, maybe even over and above the going rate, to say, I need the answer to that question. And I'm going to tell you the answer to that question later on. I'm not even going to charge you for it. All right? We're going to see it. And it's going to be amazing when you see it. So what does this blessed or blessed and happiness look like in the rest of Psalm 1? Well, Pastor Danny mentioned that this person in verse 2 last week is delighting in the laws of God. This person is committed to the truths found in God's word. This man depicted in Psalm 1 has chosen a path of wisdom and is existing in a state of contented happiness as his state of being. His life is being directed by what he is delighted in, delighting in, and those are the words of God. He's deli- like delighting. The man presented in Psalm 1 has the confidence and the joy that I experience when I go bowling and they put those bumpers up in the lanes, right? I don't really worry about throwing a gutter ball in that situation because that way is just not for me. It's closed off from me. I can't go wrong. I'll at least knock down one of the pins. Hopefully, right? Unless I don't have enough strength to get it all the way down there, right? But Psalm 1, the Psalm 1 man is delighting in the directives of the Word of God, and they are just going for it. They, it's not like this is a burden to them. They love it, and they're directed by it, and, they're, and they're, they're protected from making bad decisions because they're delighting in something that's true and accurate. And so not only is he happy and blessed and confident and experiencing delight, he's also what verse 3 says. Shane referenced this. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This blessed, happy man yields fruit in the appropriate times in his life and lives without fear of being ineffective and unproductive with what he was created to be and do And actually, death poses no threat for him. He says, my leaves aren't going to wither even in the summertime when it's hot. Because I'm being nourished by the streams of living water. And he doesn't shrink back and he doesn't wither away. Instead, in all that he does, even in seasons of adversity, he's prospering. And if that's not enough, look at verse 6. It says this, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. So the depiction of this person is, not only is he happy, blessed, contented, delighted, directed, fruitful, fearless, prosperous, but he is actually intimately known by God himself. God is not just like informed about this person from afar. He intimately knows what's going on in this blessed person's life, That means he's actively caring for, feeding, nurturing, giving special attention, intimate attention to him. 
This knowledge here that the psalmist records for us implies and embodies care. I don't just like know that something has happened. I'm like there with you in it knowing that it's happening to you. So this is option one. Option one seems very compelling. One. Option two is also very compelling, but in a horrific way, because this is the way of the wicked. Psalm 1-1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So let's look at the other way of living, and let's look at that option and see which one we want to be associated with. Well, the first depiction or description of this option is the word wicked. Now, when I say that, I don't mean the modern, you know, cool slang term right now. When you say, oh, man, that's so wicked, you know, that's like cool. That's not what the psalmist means here, right? The wickedness presented here is actual wickedness. It's somebody who is guilty because they have violated some sort of standard This person is experiencing the appropriate amount of guilt because they have broken some sort of law or standard or commandment. And we know what guilt feels like, right? We feel guilt when we've done something wrong, when we've done something that we ought not to do or when we fail to do what we ought to do. And so many times we try to numb that guilty feeling with all sorts of distractions or substances But nothing can take that real guilt away. We need somebody guiltless to do that, and more on that in a minute. But this person is called wicked, actually guilty of doing something wrong. The next description of this other way of living is the word sinner. And man, now are we countercultural. You can call me many things, but just don't call me a sinner because that implies that I have missed some sort of mark. The modern mindset of mankind is this. I determine the mark. I don't need to submit to a mark made by anyone else, especially God. He's just some made-up killjoy in the sky. So I'm going to march to the beat of my own drum. There's no mark except for the mark that I set for myself. And then the final description that we get in the second verse here is that this person is a scoffer. So what is a scoffer and what does it take to be a scoffer? Well, we see in wisdom literature in Proverbs chapter 21 verse 24 this, scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. So a scoffer is arrogant and proud, and in the context of wisdom literature is what we're in, it is someone who completely disregards God and what he has said. A scoffer is someone who is not delighting in this word. It's someone who is discontent with this word. A scoffer looks at this word, and he sits in judgment over it. A scoffer knows what's in the word, but says, it doesn't match up with my feelings, 
And it doesn't match up with my experience, so I'm going to have nothing to do with it. I'm going to cast off the restraints of this word because I have a much better way of going about dealing with the issues in my life. So the way of the wicked is marked with guilt. It misses the mark. And it mocks the ways of God. And yes, this can be done in a very loud, boastful, arrogant way, but it can be done in a more subtle way too. When we just read the word, I'm like, man, that just doesn't match up with what I feel right now, so I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to go about taking care of my things my way. And you know what all that results in? It all results in, in the illustration that the psalmist gives us. Like, it's like chaff, and it's just like, whew. So now, we have to ask ourselves the question, which sketch resembles your current life? And which one do you prefer to be? This is rather simple stuff. Would you rather be one or two? One, two. And here's the thing. I think most of us and her level-headedness would say, I want to be one. I want to be one. I choose option one. It's clear. That's what I want. Not many people in their right mind would say, yeah, option two looks great. No, we, we all say, I want One. But here's the problem. If we are honest, most of the time, we actively live out option two. If we're honest, most of the time, a lot of the time, we resemble the second option. Sometimes our happiness is fickle, and it's based on something that it shouldn't be based on. Sometimes we don't delight in God's laws. Sometimes we, we scoff at them. Sometimes we're blown and tossed by the wind. Sometimes it feels like the leaves are withering and we're depressed and we're despondent. Many times we feel actual guilt. Many times we miss the mark. Many times we look at what God's word says and we sit in judgment on it and say, that's just too hard to actually do what it says. And so I'm going to do my things my own way. I'm going to unbelieve what God has said. And our lives end up looking a lot like option two, which is the option we all in our right mind say, we don't want that option. Option one is something that we're desperately seeking after, but the problem is none of us in this room have this as our actual experience in life. Psalm 1-6 says this, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Righteous. The blessed man in Psalm 1 is the man who walks in the way of righteousness. And herein lies the problem. In and of myself, I am not righteous. 
Righteousness eludes me, and it eludes all of us. So it's like we're throwing gutter balls left and right in our lives. And here's where the really good news comes in. Because Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are meant to be read together. They are connected. The very first word in Psalm 1 is blessed or happy. And one of the very last words in Psalm 2 is also that same word, blessed or happy. I'll show you this connection. It's amazing. Psalm 1 starts off by saying, blessed is the man. And then it goes on to talk about a generic man who walks in the way of righteousness. And then Psalm 2 tells us who this mystery man is. He's not you. He's not me. He is none other than the begotten Son of God who is enthroned in Zion. This is a reference to Jesus. Psalm 2, 6 through 7 says this, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is the passage that Paul refers to in the opening verses of his letter to the Romans as he begins to explain the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to them. This is the passage that Paul preached in Antioch in Acts chapter 13. He sat down in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, but he was asked to stand up and deliver a message of encouragement. And you know what he did? He turned to Psalm 2 and he said, This is the good news that God promised to our fathers. This is fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, who also is written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. This is the passage that the author of Hebrews references twice in his letter to highlight the superiority of Jesus over everyone and everything in the Old Testament. The righteous man in Psalm 1 And Psalm 2 is not you and me by our own self-will to delight in God's word and be righteous in and of ourselves. The righteous man in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 is Jesus, the coming Messiah. He always delighted in God's word. He actually became fully obedient to every directive of his father even unto death. And here's the connection Here's the connection between Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. It's made really clear when you notice that word blessed in the last line of Psalm 2. We already saw it in 1.1. Now in 2.12, you see this. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The blessed person of Psalm 1 is the person who is righteous. And the blessed person of Psalm 2.12 is the person who takes refuge in the one who is righteous. This isn't about you just trying, I need to delight, I need to delight. I need to not let my leaves wither. I need, blah, blah, blah. It's not that. It's not that. It's taking refuge in the one who was that for you. So from the very beginning of this 15 to 18 year journey, we must see that the only way that we will benefit from any of the blessings that populate these 150 psalms is to be in a right 
relationship with Jesus. And it's like what the jailer felt. It's like what Paul and Silas told the jailer who was in despair and was ready to take his own life from the very end of his proverbial rope. He said this, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And this was the response he got. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And this is what we must do as well. Here's the thing. Don't overcomplicate God's word. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You will be able to be the righteous man of Psalm 1, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. Amen? Let's pray. God, I pray that this would be abundantly clear over these next 15 to 18 years or however long it takes us to get through these psalms. God, as we sing this last song, and the worship team leads us in a great hymn of our faith, Rock of Ages, I pray that we would recognize that we need to find our refuge in you. We need to hide ourselves in you and not be about people who are trying to make righteousness and happiness and blessedness happen in our lives apart from you. God, I pray that we would seek to see King Jesus and portraits of him all throughout this journey. And God, I pray that we would take refuge in him. And God, this could be a moment of decision for, it's really for all of us here in this room, which composite sketch, which character sketch most resembles our current situation and which do you want to be associated with? The only way that we can be associated with the righteous one is by repenting and trusting in the only one who is truly righteous. And so God, I pray that we would renew our commitment to him. That for those of us in this room that have walked with you and attempted to keep in step with you, as you've said to us, as your disciples, follow me. I pray that we would make more firm commitments to do so this year and this summer especially. And for those in the room that have not, they look at their lives and say, man, I, I am walking in the way of the wicked. I, I feel that guilt. I've never been associated with the way of the righteous. I can't do that on my own. And I pray that that realization for them in this moment would help them cry out to you to say, Jesus, save me. God, as we end with this song and a benediction to follow, God, work in these moments in one of two ways as we have to all make a choice now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's continue on in musical worship in a time of response. Rock of ages cleft for me, and then we'll have one final prayer of benediction.